Daniel and I will be reviewing Fight Night Home versus Aldana. Daniel, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Jacob. Doing pretty good. Just got off the air with uh, the 6 a.m. lift here on U92. It's early in the morning, but it's a great time to talk about sports. Yes, it is. So we're going to just kick it right off here. Uh, no frills here at the Throwing Hands podcast. Casey Kenny versus Haley Alatank. I think Casey Kenny put on a stellar performance. He probably won this fight 30-25 in the eyes of a lot of people he did. You know, just killing him with those body kicks. And I don't know if you saw Haley Alatank's torso after this, but it looked like mm-hmm. uh, someone just sprayed ketchup all over the left side of his body. That's awful. But <laughs> anyway, I mean, I couldn't be more pleased from Casey Kenny. And he's a judo guy, so he, he really showed his stand-up game here. Yeah, Casey Kenny, it's been the ground game that's carried him this far. It's been that judo. It's been the wrestling. But like you said, just destroying the body on Haley Alatang. Uh, beating him up 109 total strikes and all of them were considered significant uh, he outstruck him 109 to 46 so that, that's just dominance that that's pure dominance and it, it can't be disputed that that's the performance Casey Kenny put out uh today or last night excuse Saturday what am I what am I saying again it's early in the morning we're still figuring things out here but the performance Casey Kenny put out on Saturday again proved that he's evolving as a fighter He's been mostly a ground guy uh, for the majority of his career, but he comes out here against Haley Alatang, who is a very strong striker, is a very powerful striker, and he's, he's able to stand up with him. He's able to keep him at a distance with those kicks, and that's, that's what carried the fight for him was that striking, was those body kicks, and Alatang was just never, never able to, to get in close and find the opportunity for that kill shot. Yeah, definitely. I think you summed it up pretty well. Haley Alatang just couldn't pick his shots, and Casey Kenny just all, like all his, you said, all of his strikes were significant. Looking pretty good on Casey Kenny's part. All right, to the rankings. Uh, we're gonna talk what's next for these guys at one thirty-five. I think we could see uh, uh, Casey Kenny get a ranked guy next. He was originally, he was ranked before he lost to Murad Wallashwili. So maybe we could see a Sonya Dong, maybe even a Marlon Vera fight. Who knows? Uh, what do you think's next for? Uh, Casey Kenny. I'd love to see a matchup between Casey Kenny and Chito Vera. Uh, I think those are two guys that are coming off of pretty impressive wins. Uh, of course, with uh, Vera beating uh, Sean O'Malley a couple about a month ago. So uh, you factor that in for Casey Kenny. I think uh, that would be a step up in competition for him, but one I think that would be uh, pretty worth pretty worthwhile in seeing because uh, I think Casey Kenny, as we said, has taken a step forward. And then you match him up against Marlon Vera, who is coming off a huge win. These are two guys that have shown they can mix styles. Vera more of a striker, Kenny more of a ground fighter, but both can do the other thing. Vera can handle himself on the ground, and Kenny, as we saw on Saturday, is more than capable standing up. So I think that would be an interesting mix of styles. That would be two guys that are able to defend against what the other is really great at. 
and then would have an advantage on another factor in that fight. I would love to see that. I think Song Yudong would be another good one as well. But I think Marlon Vera would be a really, really fun fight to watch with Casey Kenny. Yeah, it would. I, I'm, I, th- I think Cheeto Fair is the fight to make. And for Haley Alatang, I don't know what's next for him. He's in an interesting situation. He came up from the flyweight division to do this bantamweight bout. Uh, he Before, uh, uh, what's his face, Casey Kenny, he fought uh, Ryan Benoit. So, I don't know. He, he has a decision to make here. What do you think's next? I think we could see him take a step back down to 125. That's where he's fought for the majority of his career. I think he could be competitive in the Bantamweight division. He's got the power to do it. But that power that he brings is probably what you would consider special in a flyweight division, not something that not a lot of people at that 125 weight class are are able to bring forth. So I think we could see Alatang step back down to 125. I think that may be in his best interest. Not that he can't compete at Bantamweight, but that he could, you know, be a legitimate title contender at flyweight if some things come together for him. Definitely. All right. So we're going to, we summed that up pretty well. We're going to head to over to the next match up here. Uh, Carlos Condit putting on a pretty decent performance against Court McGee. Uh, both these guys landed about the same amount of strikes, but Carlos just pretty much brought the pressure the whole time. It saw a performance from a guy who, uh, you know, we thought was a little, wa- some people thought were a little washed up, was a little washed up, but he looked pretty good in this fight. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, five straight losses for Carlos Condit. Again, uh, one of the iconic UFC fighters uh, of the mid to late 2000s, but uh, had just not been able to put it together in his last couple fights. Goes out there against another experienced guy in Court McGee and is able to, like you said, dominate pace, dominate the octagon, just kept giving Court McGee everything he could ask for. And again, the strikes here were very, very close, 88 to 84. Uh, but Condit just kept that pressure up, kept McGee moving backwards. I believe uh, Court McGee has now said he was fighting with a broken nose for the majority of that fight, uh, that Carlos Condit did that early on. And again, Condit looked really good, was able to keep the pace up, was able to keep Court McGee back on his heels. And when it is a fight that is between guys that are majority of the time going to be looking to strike for three rounds, whoever can control that pace and keep his opponent moving backwards is going to have the best chance to win. And that's exactly what happened in this one. I'm not even going to add anything to that. So for Court McGee, I don't know what's next for him. He's he's kind of in an interesting situation, in my opinion. Um, he's older. He's definitely on the back half of his career. He's coming off three straight losses. So I think I think it's up to him what he wants to do, either retire or maybe, I don't know, he could get moved to – he might get cut. I think he's in a, he's in a very peculiar uh, position here. What do you think? Yeah, it's kind of fish or cut bait time with Court McGee. Either he's going to have to – make a step forward or prove to the UFC that he's still got value to the roster or he's going to find himself in a position where he's looking for a job. He's a talented guy. He can strike. He's a very, excuse me, a very empowering story, inspiring story, a former drug addict who ended up getting into, into fighting after his recovery. So you want to see guys like Court McGee have success, but he's getting to a point in his career where he's older. Like you said, he's lost three in a row. Uh, maybe it's time for him to to look elsewhere from the UFC. Yeah, and for Carlos Condit, I think he's still a hot commodity. I mean, Twitter was buzzing after that win, if you follow MMA Twitter. But I think we could possibly see him, um, excuse me, do maybe become a gatekeeper in this division. Or or who knows, maybe maybe he might try to climb his way back up. What are your thoughts on what's next for Mr. Condit? 
Carlos Condit's definitely got a place here. He's not going to be a title contender like he once was, but there's no reason he can't go out there, uh, battle with some guys who are up and comers, even, you know, fight some of the other legends uh, of, of his weight class because, again, that's something that UFC has shown a want to do as these guys get into their later years, uh, you know, either create rematches between guys that, that fought for titles previously or even create matchups of guys that, never were able to fight in their primes, but will still draw money for the UFC uh, at their later years. So I think that's kind of where we see Carlos Condit fall into, you know, similar to the role that we've seen uh, in various divisions with what they're doing currently with Chris Weidman uh, in the heavyweight division with Fabricio Verdum. Uh, and I think that's probably what's going to happen with Carlos Condit. Uh, he's going to, I would say, fall into a similar role to those guys. Yep. For sure. All right. To the next matchup, we're going to be reviewing. Uh, I just want to touch on this one. Taquan Townsend versus Dusko Todorovic. This dude uh, in Todorovic, complete domination. 109 strikes to uh, uh, Townsend's 21 total strikes. I mean, he, he, he stood him up, and then he brought him to the ground and pounded him there. I think this was a top-notch performance from a very uh, intriguing prospect who had, hadn't fought in about over a year, and it looked like he didn't miss a beat. It's complete and utter dominance. I don't know if there's much you can add to that. Uh, Todorovic, uh, like you said, just came out and just beat the brakes out of Daquan Townsend uh, for almost two full rounds. Uh, 109 strikes to 21 in terms of total. 85 to 13 landed a takedown as well. Uh, this was this was really impressive. Like you said, Todorovic hadn't fought in over a year, but still an outstanding prospect. And Daquan Townsend himself is no slouch. So. Todorovic, really impressive performance, really good looking. He gets the performance tonight bonus, and I think he's got some trajectory here where he could make something happen with a couple wins in a row. Definitely. Uh, we just want to touch. On, I just want to touch on that one a little bit. I think uh, Townsend, uh, interesting situation for him. Uh, I don't know where he goes from here, but just go Todorovic. Hey, give this guy, give this guy a step up because he's been looking pretty good. Do you have any thoughts? I, I really don't. I think, like you said, a step up in competition for him. Not sure where that would be, but he's put himself in a position to to have a chance to make some things happen. Definitely. All right. To the most surprising performance of the night, Jermaine Duran, I mean, te technically submits Juliana Pena via guillotine. Uh, Pena sh shot for the takedown. Jermaine Duran, I mean, just dug that guillotine right in there. First technical submission in women's UFC history, apparently. I saw that somewhere. But, hey, props to Jermaine Duranamy. What were your thoughts? Yeah, we came into this fight saying Jermaine Duranamy is going to have no chance if this fight goes to the ground. She's going to have to keep it standing. She's just going to have to turn this into a kickboxing fight. And then when Juliana Pena tries to take it to the ground, Jermaine Duranamy locks her up. Technical submission, as you said. Guillotine puts her out. That's not something we've seen from Jermaine Duranamy, even a in a defensive capability where she's able to, to quickly pivot to something like that. She's able to do it. Performance of the night, more power to her. Uh, she's obviously still developing as a fighter in her later years of her prime. So, uh, yeah, Jermaine Durandamy, former title challenger, an outstanding fighter, and she's still fighting at a very high level and still able to, to change up what she's doing and compete with the best of them. That was really impressive because we've not seen Jermaine Durandamy have almost any kind of ground game. And to say that that's the first technical submission in women's UFC history, and you look at some of the, the grapplers and jiu-jitsu practitioners that uh, these women's divisions have seen, and to say that that first technical sub comes from 
uh, from Jermaine Duran to me. That's that's some pretty serious stuff. That is some pretty serious stuff. And on some more serious stuff, we're going to talk about what's next for these people. Uh, Juliana Pena, I think we could see uh, Arena Aldana. That could be her next matchup after her loss. I think that I think that's a solid match to make. You know, uh, yeah, I think I think that that could bring in some pay per view vibes, especially from the uh, Latin American community. What do you think? Not I'd love to see vibes, but viewership. I'd love to see that fight. I think that would be a really interesting one to check out. I think it's something that would definitely, uh, as you said, generate buys, generate viewership for the UFC. You match those two up, and still, it's two outstanding bantamweights. This women's bantamweight division has a good bit of depth right now, and I think. You, you take those two, throw them out there against each other, and you've got a, a, pretty, a pretty interesting matchup that would potentially put one of them in, in position for future contendership against Amanda Nunes. Again, the, the word contendership against Amanda Nunes kind of has to come in quotes because we've not really seen anybody even compete with her uh, in the octagon in recent years. But I think you take the two women coming off of losses in this bantamweight division after Saturday, you match them up and you try to get one of them back on track because they're both very talented. Yeah, definitely. And for Jermaine Duranamy, I think, I think Holly Holmes next. I don't think there's any argument about that. Uh, What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I I think you take, as I said, you take the two losers, match them up. I think you take the two winners, match them up, uh, put them both in a position to be that next contender for Amanda Nunes be able to come out and have the opportunity to fight for the title whenever Amanda Nunes is coming back to Bantamweight. Uh, she's, again, supposed to fight in December against Megan Anderson at the 125 weight class. But I think at 135, there's still some decision-making to be done about who that top contender is going to be. You match up Jermaine Durandamy and Holly Holm in essentially number one contenders fight, and I think that helps you decide that pretty easily. For sure. All right. To the next uh, event that we're going to talk about, uh, two, two big boys going at you're going to catch versus Carlos Felipe. No fireworks here like I was expecting, but it went to decision. Uh, but Carlos Felipe uh, beat him with uh, – he, he uh, what was it called? Aimed, aimed and shot. He didn't just throw in hope. Uh, and that's how he got the win here. He was very uh, smart with his uh, strategy here. What were your thoughts? Yeah, Carlos Felipe, a lot more pre- precise than Jorgen DeCastro. DeCastro actually outlanded him 113 to 88 uh, in terms of total strikes, but you look at the significant strikes, it's 78 to 48 in favor of Carlos Felipe. DeCastro just got a little wild out there uh, trying to land as many strikes as possible as quickly as possible. But Carlos Felipe uh, was, like I said, much more precise, much more efficient with what he was doing out there. And I think that was very, very obviously what won him this fight. Carlos Felipe kind of came out after this fight and was, as he said, frustrated to have this fight end in a decision because he felt like Jorgen DeCastro didn't really want to engage in a stand-up battle with him, which is something we've seen out of Jorgen DeCastro before. DeCastro... I don't know what the deal is, but it seems like he starts hot and then just kind of tries to back into a corner and not have to fight for the next two rounds, which one, it's not going to win you fights. And two, it's going to get you cut from the roster because running away from guys is one of the the few things that keeps you, that will almost guarantee you to be cut off the roster unless you're just, you know, kind of backing away from guys, backing away, setting up, and then knocking them out in spectacular fashion, which is not what Jorgen Castro has done. If you keep running, 
you're going to get cut. And he's done it in two fights in a row. He's kept backing away from Carlos Felipe. He's kept backing away from Greg Hardy. He racks up points early and then just hides and is not aggressive, does not want to you know, swap strikes with guys. I don't know what the deal is. He's not a bad fighter, but it seems like when there's any kind of opportunity for him to have a little bit of back and forth with his opponent, he just he, he goes into his little turtle shell and doesn't want to fight. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, speaking of what's next for Jurgen Castro, I, th- I think his name could be on the chopping block. And if not, if he was the next fight, he's, he's gone. I don't think there's really much discussion to be had there. He, he's, he just keeps running. It's not, it's not fun to watch. And nor is it good for for his career. What what are your thoughts? Yeah, again, to, to Castro, it's frustrating because the guy's got talent. He he's got the ability to strike. He can, he and he's a, he's an efficient striker. He's a precise striker when he wants to be. We saw that in the Greg Hardy fight. He can beat guys' legs up. He's got great kicks. He's got powerful kicks, and he can back it up with power in his hands. Uh, but if he's going to keep running, if he's going to keep have this keep having this strategy where he's going to rack up points early and just try to wait out the clock and get through those last two rounds without having to, to really swap leather with anybody, then he's going to have a lot of trouble because you can't do that in the UFC and have success. There's too many people that are going to put pressure on you for those next two rounds. Even if you don't get knocked out, you're going to be outlanded in significant strikes just by nature of volume. And, Yes, you're going to cast her 313 strikes, but how many of them were actually targeted strikes that were meant to damage Carlos Felipe? And how many of them were him just trying to rack up cheap points as this fight went along? So, you know, he didn't get knocked for continuing to back up and stay out of, the, out of danger against Carlos Felipe on Saturday. I think Jorgen DeCastro could be cut after this fight. And like I said, another one, he gets out there another time and has a similar performance. He's gone. I think... I, this is the type of fight that the UFC hates to see that Dana White is, you know, going to lash out at somebody for because it's what the UFC hates to see go on in the octagon. And Jorgen DeCastro, that's exactly what he's done in his last two fights. He's come out and he's done what the UFC hates to see people, particularly lower on the card, do. And that's slow fights down and, and just have little to no interaction between the two fighters and it's because Jorgen DeCastro uh, has chosen to do that in his last two fights not even gonna argue with there and Carlos Felipe um I mean a step up in competition I guess but uh maybe even a similar level but it he's in he's in an interesting situation what do you think yeah uh Carlos Felipe did look good uh, when they were able to kind of engage there so uh, he's gonna have another opportunity he's a solid prospect I don't know what it'll be I, I would probably look for him to fight on a similar level just because we didn't gain too much out of this fight from Jorgen DeCastro. So I think Carlos Felipe sticks on the roster, gets another chance in heavyweight division and could keep moving up because he's a very powerful guy. He's a big bodied guy that can do a lot of things. Alrighty. To the main event of the evening, we already know it's next for these two. So we probably won't discuss that, but Holly Holm uh, did not expect this type of performance from her. She had five takedowns. I mean, I went to bed in the middle of the fight because I knew how this fight was going by the way she was fighting. And she looked like the Holly home of old, I guess. I mean, 154 significant strikes. And she yeah, pretty much two and a half times uh, the amount of significant strikes that Irene Aldana had. You couldn't have asked for a better performance from Holly home, I don't think. I think uh, she, she looked like she did five years ago. Uh, what were your thoughts? 
Yeah, Holly Holm just keeps going. Just absolutely ageless. Doesn't stop. She just doesn't stop. She's uh, just continued to, I wouldn't say necessarily keep getting better, but she stayed at this same level for so long. At the age of 38, she's fought in multiple weight classes, has been outstanding in both at bantamweight and featherweight. She's extremely talented. She's the woman that, that beat Ronda Rousey. Obviously, that's what she's most known for, but she's been so much more to these UFC women's divisions. She's one of the ones that create that built uh, women's MMA and women's competition in the UFC, and she's still fighting at such a high level at the age of 38. She just doesn't stop. Her conditioning is insane. She strikes with the best of anybody. She can just go at you uh, like nobody's business and she doesn't stop she keeps swarming she's on top of you for the entire three rounds five rounds in this case against Serena Aldana she just doesn't stop and she she's just a smothering fighter who doesn't give her opponents any kind of opportunity to fight back yeah she doesn't and it was it was, it was a surprising way to get the job excuse me get the job done because Irene Aldana is fairly good on the ground but the takedowns, I mean, I got to give it to her. And I was very confused why Irina Aldana just kept circling left the whole fight. I mean, I thought I was watching uh, Big Ben uh, in London uh, go around the clock. But it was like, it was really weird. I don't get why she kept on doing it, even though it clearly wasn't working. What, what were your thoughts on that? I really don't have much to add to that because Aldana, again, strategically just did not seem prepared uh, for what uh, Holly Holm was going to do it. Like you said, five takedowns, 154 significant strikes. That's, that's just domination. And Irina Aldana, I don't know if she wasn't properly prepared for this fight, if she had issues with the weight cut and wasn't able to focus on the strategic part of things. I don't know what the deal was. But Holly Holm looked so much more prepared for this fight than Irina Aldana did. And it, it ended up coming back to bite her because she got absolutely destroyed. Yep. So, uh, we already we talked about what's next for these two. Uh, so, we're going to get into some news, I guess. Uh, what do you got, man? Well, uh, Gilbert Burns and Kamaru Usman is still scheduled. Well, it's not scheduled. It's going to happen, but it has been moved off of UFC 256 in December. Uh, Kamaru Usman apparently needing a little more time to recover from his fight with Jorge Masvidal. And you can't blame him for that. That was a competitive fight. And Masvidal, as always, his strikes are are going to shake guys up a little bit. But, again, that fight moved off of December 12th. They're targeting early 2021 to get that fight back on the cards. And I think that's a fight that everybody still wants to see. I don't think Gilbert Burns has to fight again to, to establish himself as still the number one contender. I think he's still very clearly in that position. And I think uh, it'll be a very competitive fight. It's just not going to happen in 2020. Yeah, I think I think you summed that up well. Uh, just not going to happen now. Um, oh, I forget what I saw yesterday. I can't think of it. Uh, uh, hopefully, uh, so Dana White said John Jones and Israel Adesanya's fight to make. I don't see how that happens personally. Um, I think Adesanya's too light and John Jones is too heavy for this to happen anytime soon. What do you think? I think so. John Jones moving up to heavyweight. You're, you're not going to see him fight Israel Adesanya anytime soon. You're, it'll be half. It'll have to be after he does his little trial in the heavyweight division here, and it'll have to require Adesanya to move up. He's got the frame to do it, but we've never seen him really tack on a ton of weight. He's a guy that doesn't have to cut really to fight at 185. So, 
we could at one point see Israel Adesanya move up to, to fight John Jones, but it's not going to be a heavyweight fight. It's just not going to be competitive in that way. So it's, I would like to see that fight happen. It would have to be a 205. It's not going to happen with John Jones in the heavyweight division. So it's not going to happen. I would say in the next year and a half to two years. Definitely. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, so, uh, Stephen Thompson, uh, I guess, uh, he was offered something to Shemaev, but I think he said it was a waste of time, and I agree with him. He's not ranked. He's not. He might be top twenty, but not top fifteen. Um, but uh, Alex Oliveira wants to fight. Um, what's his face, uh, Shemaev? I think that'd be an interesting battle, especially with a guy with old man strength like Oliveira. Um, what are your thoughts on that potential matchup? Yeah, I think that would be uh, an extremely exciting fight. I think. That would be, again, Shamayev getting a step up in competition, which is what he's needed. He's been so impressive early, but it's really not been against great competition. I think he's going to have the opportunity in his whatever his next fight is to prove himself to be a true top 15 guy. And he's been dominant so far, and we're really going to figure out what Kamzat Shamayev is made of when his next fight comes around. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you have anything else? Yeah, uh, Mark Hunt's suing the UFC again because of uh, what happened in his fight with Brock Lesnar. It's, it's been thrown out before. It's, it's been un, an unsuccessful appeal in the past, but repealing the decision again. Essentially, uh, he, after his fight at UFC 250, uh, sued the UFC because uh, Brock Lesnar uh, tested positive for uh, or failed multiple drug tests, uh, two drug tests, one in the lead up, one on the day of the fight and was still allowed to go on. Uh, he's uh, accused the UFC and Brock Lesnar of racketeering, fraud, battery, and civil conspiracy, in addition to other claims. Uh, and he's looking for compensatory damages, declaratory relief, punitive damages, uh, statutory trouble damages, and attorney's fees. It's been thrown out before. They're appealing it again. Um, the, the, the prior judge uh, who dismissed the battery claims uh, essentially said that uh, that Mark Hunt going in there uh, for a fight has the same assumption of risk that a baseball player potentially getting hit in the head with a ni- with a fastball uh, from a pitcher would be. Uh, but again, the the basis of this uh, the basis of this lawsuit is that Brock Lesnar tested positive for performance enhancing drugs. And the UFC still allowed him to fight against Mark Hunt at UFC 250, or excuse me, UFC 200. So it's an interesting thing. It's, it's something that's kind of flown under the radar a little bit, uh, that this appeal is coming back out again. It's, I don't think we're going to see the decision reversed on appeal, but it's, it's still something to make a note of. Definitely. Um, I don't have anything else. What do you, anything else? That does it for me. All righty. That'll do it for us here. Uh, Daniel, I want to thank you for coming back on per usual. Absolutely, my friend. All right, guys. We'll see you guys next time.